There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, are the BBC's political programme still cutting the mustard? Can Snapchat beat Netflix at their own game? The government-backed plan to save local newspapers and the secret group of journalists stoking online harassment. Plus, in the Media Quiz, what truly is the best radio programme of all time? It's all to come in today's Media Podcast. And joining me today is exec producer for ITN Productions, Susie Marsh. Welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. After a very promising debut, you've disappeared from our <laughs> ears for a while. What are you up to these days? Um, well, I've worked for ITN. I'm make, uh, my history is television, but I'm making adverts now. So I've sort of uh, stepped slightly sideways into a whole different area of program making. Um, but live ads, which is another whole different world as live well. Live ads. Live adverts on a Saturday night. Always good fun. Go on. So give, give us an example. Um, so recently what we've been doing is adverts that um, are basically a very short game show of winning lots of money in a very in 50-second ads live from various locations around the country with Stephen Mulhern. You may well have seen it in between X Factor, but that's what we do. We go to a location, we broadcast live, we turn it around in 15, well, 50 seconds, uh, clear cost, watch it, give us a go-ahead and we TX it. So it's very... So just to add to the pressure of a live TV show on primetime TV, an advertising client as well. Uh, Yes, I'm doing it for a client and I'm also doing it in front of the, um, you know, the operators who will deem it whether it could be broadcast or not. And they decide with a minute to air. Well, very brave. So, yes. Well done. Done it though now, um, so it's fine. Uh, and also <laughs> returning to the podcast, Professor Emeritus of Journalism at City University, Liz Howell. Hi, Liz. Hello. Now, last time you were on the show, I'm pretty sure you said, I'm about to retire. Yes, so and I did. So what do you do now then? Well, I may, became a Professor Emeritus, which means that you have your contact with the university. And you have to do lots of things without necessarily being paid for them. Ouch. But I do do a research project. A lot of people listening will relate. Um, Just think it goes on after 65. Anyway, um, I do a research project about women in news, and that's carrying on. um, And there's quite a lot uh, hanging on that, so I've got that to deliver by September this year. Can you give us a sneak preview as to how it's looking at the moment? Oh, it's always the same. You know, there aren't enough women in news, really. Actually, it it did, as regards expert women, which is where we started in 2011 campaigning, Mm. that's really a, a good news story. I mean, it's down to only twice as many men as women now whereas it used to be six <laughs> times be as many very thankful shouldn't absolutely we? thankful for small mercies yeah but in other areas it's not so great 
Mm-hmm. So, and what are those areas that you're looking well, at? Well, for there? example, particularly reporters, if you look at the reporters on the Big Beast shows, say ITV News and BBC News, you've got more than twice as many men as women, and there's, there's no reason for that. With experts, there is a reason, because the level of female expertise in society is probably less than the level of male expertise in society for historical reasons. But there's absolutely no reason why a television station should employ a man as a reporter and not a woman. Okay. Uh, right, now, since our last podcast... It has been revealed that the mother of late-night political programming this week is coming to an end as long-time host Andrew Neil pursues an earlier bedtime. Uh, Liz, if you were director of BBC News and Andrew Neil, one of your big stars basically, comes to you and says he wants to quit that show, mm-hmm. would you then axe the show as well? Take yeah, such a quick well, decision? Yeah, well, I think he, he very much is involved with the show and he's the persona of the show and so on. And also... You've got to see this in the wider context of what the ratings are actually like for this week, and I don't suspect they're particularly fabulous. Within that genre, he's a big star, but actually they may be secretly rather glad to see it go. That's that's my reading of the situation. And Fran Unsworth has said, oh, said we'll explore other possibilities with Andrew Neil, and he is still going to be presenting other political shows, but maybe it's time for this one to go. I reckon, though, if you looked at the Audience Appreciation Index, which I haven't bothered to do, I'll admit, but I bet if you did, it would be pretty high for this week because for the people who like that show, they loved that show. Yeah, but that's not the point. If there's two people love yes, it to pieces, right. what what good is that? Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's a, it's a difficult thing to be niche for a certain area of it. It's, it's lovely and to be very well appreciated and to have a sort of cult following, as it were, with a small amount of people. But um, is it the kind of... You know, we can see him in many other places. There are lots of other opportunities. It, it's sort of it's um, its appeal is sort of quirky. And actually, is that what we want now? Anyway, do we want him dancing? You know, I mean, for me, watching a news thing, I find it very disquieting to watch that. <laughs> and and also, what what attention is it getting? Is it getting the right attention from the things that it does do? And actually, is that the attention that is wanted at the moment? Yeah, something serious is happening in politics, isn't it? And maybe this sort of show is not the right sort of show to because reflect Because it's irreverent. That. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. But the, but the analysis wasn't irreverent. I mean, you had no, Michael it was Portillo, sound. you had yeah. Diane Abbott, Alan Johnson. Well, that was that. a long time ago. Mm. The thing is, I think it's probably had its day, and everybody at the moment who works in politics is thinking, ah, how are we going to reflect this new thing that we don't even know what it is? It's evolving as we sit here. I don't know mm. how many more MPs have resigned since we walked in the, in the door. You know, It's a very difficult time, and political shows are in that melting pot. I suppose this week does reflect a time where you did have the woman as it was then from Labour and the man from the Tories and it was a two-party world and as you say it's it's a completely different world yeah. we have now so what's the closest thing politically on telly that can reflect that and you've got this new format for Politics Live which is sort of like eight people sitting around a table sort of battling for airtime. Like I, I don't CNN. think there is a formula that is, yeah. is ready yet I really don't think there is it's going to evolve with the politics that we're now dealing with it's all very new. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I think the, the thing is, is we're having to, everybody's having to change the way they consume it, the way they think about it, the way they believe it or don't believe it, because there are so many different opinions now and everybody's shouting as loud as somebody else. And we all have to listen to all of them, be they right or wrong as well. So I'm constantly confused. And and so many people aren't bothering to look at what the detail and the fact is. And that's the other thing. I think people want really clear, really concise Information. And I think the idea of a, a group of men, and they are predominantly mm-hmm. men, who are in with the in crowd in politics yes, and absolutely. tell you how it is and all of that, that's really changing. It is democratising in, in a very different way. But the idea of a weekly review type show, there's still a gap for that, isn't yeah. there? I and mean, they haven't announced absolutely. any kind of replacement for it. A lot of people don't want to see daily political coverage. They want to step back and let's hear some analysis. Yeah, yeah. but it needs to be something new. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's 16 years, isn't it? And and it's, you know, whatever else, it is still him with his opinions, be they his own or others, but they still feel like it's coming from the same place and we're in such a different place now. And certainly to represent all of us feels that that is not perhaps something that can be done within that one show with my feeling, people. My feeling very much is that these big beasts who opine, might as well na- name names, you know, there's Nick Robinson and there's Adam Bolton and there's Andrew Neil, but they're all of a time and mm. the time is not now. Yeah. But there are other irreverent type presenters that you could imagine. You could imagine a Julia Hartley Brewer or a James O'Brien hosting that show. Why get rid of the show? Because it's built around the host yes. and if they're going to yeah. do it, they're going to want to do it differently. Yeah. And the accusation, Susie, is that the BBC generally is running away from its commitment to political news. They're losing 10 minutes of the news at 10 to showcase BBC Three programmes Monday to Wednesday. Sunday Politics has been axed and not replaced. Uh, And even Politics Live, that show we were just talking about, is shorter than its predecessor, which was Daily Politics. That's not a good look. No, but I think it's very indicative of what's happening at the moment in terms of how people consume anyway, isn't it? Because there is very little appointment to view um, be in, across generations as well. We're, we're, I can watch Sky News constantly. They're, beat, they're battling against total running, 24-hour news running where we can drop in and out. Mm. I'm not going to sit down at 10 o'clock anyway. Generally, nobody, you know, there's a smaller audience for that. And it's a, to be honest, it's a dying audience, isn't it? So the people who are coming up that you want to capture are the people who are going to be interested in short, sharp Snapchat bursts of information and news given to them in a way that they want to digest. So I think it is about reapproaching. Well, there is also the slow news approach, which is also mitigating or militating rather yes. against these shows in that perhaps we don't want the... Um, clever ass presenter telling us what to think about politics mm. we need something that's more developed i don't know what the answer is but i'm not surprised that changes afoot mm. let's talk about the future of local news now uh, it could disappear unless the government provides direct financial support that is according to an independent report on the future of the british media uh, liz this is the ken cross review yeah they're talking there about the press about the printed media in terms of broadcasting local news cannot disappear mm-hmm. under the current broadcasting act it's yeah. absolutely well, it can be shortened to six minutes as we were just discussing <laughs> well <laughs> some, <laughs> bit, can't disappear, you're some right. bits of it can but you know the, the six o'clock or six thirty local news program on itv and bbc is probably here to stay for mm-hmm. the foreseeable future um so the local press. The local press is a different matter, and that's not something where I'm an expert. That, that is certainly suffering. And quite interestingly, I've just been, as we speak, I've come away from a, a panel discussion at the RSA about positive as opposed to negative news and the balance of news. And one of the interesting points is that since there's been less local news in the papers, there has been less positive news in the ether because, mm. what, for example, I worked at Border Television for many years. Lots of people sneer at the idea of Border Television. It's a very small ITV company. But actually, getting stories onto mm. that programme required more skill and more consideration than much easier to follow national news agendas. But there was quite a lot of positive news because if there wasn't, the audience would crucify you, you know? Like, you know, my brownie troops really just won this award. Why isn't it on your news? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it gives people a buzz. It's happy stuff. Yeah. But the st- and, and positive not just happy but actually constructive and that is diminished with the demise of local newspapers so it's not just democracy uh, in the sense of covering local councils and so on it's fairness in the reflection of stories in the community and the pressure is on local programs now the bbc and itv ones to replicate the national news where everything is Mm. drama and alarm yeah 
So in this review, Susie, Dame Frances Cancross wanted direct funding for public interest news outlets from a new institute, uh, an investigation into whether Facebook and Google are too dominant in the ad market, a new code of conduct between publishers and large tech companies to make sure the publishers are treated fairly. What was your reaction to that stuff? Well, I think it, it makes absolute sense to have more funding going into these things to help people and people to become involved and to protect um, the resources that we have and to encourage those resources it's how it is administered and how it is decided upon that is the issue because if it's another group of people who aren't part of the everyday who aren't on the grassroots level deciding then I think that's where it just becomes a you know another layer in the whole thing but I I I feel that that's where everybody starts grassroots and everything because it's everyday life that's reflected that affects everybody that they can see part of their lives, part of their worlds, um, and sort of touch that bit of news, whereas obviously national news agenda feels very big and scary to, to those people just sitting at home, like in Border Television. I started out doing local cable news back when it was a requirement by the cable providers to provide X hours a week of, of local television news, and that was kind of unheard of because we were we were just the same as a local local guardian local rag you know and we just did exactly the same thing as they did so we were looking for the positive stories we were um, meeting all the local people and and we would we did you know police stories etc as well but to be on that level and to see those to learn and for people to find their places and their niches and their interests at that level um, is really important I think and it's difficult if it's someone from way up high deciding how that Works. What about the boring stuff, though? What about you know making sure there's a journalist in every courtroom, you know, at a certain level, making yeah. sure there's a journalist at every important council meeting? Is that something the government should be doing? Well, I feel quite worried about this mm. idea of the Institute of Public um, News or whatever it's going to be called. Um, I've seen in my co- professional career, you know, I started out with the old IBA, which was very involved mm. in what you did, and we knew our IBA representative very well, and they were really quite prescriptive. And then it went to the ITC, which was mm. much more national, in my view, very nationally focused and quite difficult to deal with, but still quite prescriptive. Then it became Ofcom, which is the light touch. Mm. And now they're talking about this new, or Francis Kerncross is talking about this new regulator. And I can't quite see how it's going to work. You can't make people do things, especially in commercial the commercial world, if it isn't going to make any money. Mm. If people don't want to see the court reports and they don't want to see the local, mm. the local council, for example, I'm afraid is not going to cut it mm. in this very attractive visual world we live in. Nobody's going to watch local council. And meetings. there's a move in this kind of anti-commercial space to woo commercial entrants back in, isn't there? And you see this with the audio content fund. If you've looked at this, mm, Susie, but this yeah. is this new pot of money that's come from the yeah. from the government with Helen Bowden, former director of radio for the BBC at the helm. And, and you can apply as an independent production company to make a radio show mm-hmm. that would not normally be broadcast on commercial or community radio because it's not commercial. So, you know, it would be a, a, an arts show mm-hmm. or, you know, a show about... Um, well, dramas yeah, or yeah, something like that for a, a more select audience more basically select, yeah. but, but to get the grant you have to demonstrate that yeah. they broadcast it and surely Beforehand, if they're yeah. going to approve that they'll broadcast it it's got to be something that's commercial 
Absolutely. Yeah, that seemed confusing. It's very confusing. I mean, why are you going to make it if people aren't going to watch it? Now, obviously, in the past, there have been very serious programmes that have been broadcast, quite rightly, um, under regulation that wouldn't have had a mass audience, but they would have had an audience. And the difficulty with this is if you're making something that people aren't going to watch because the government's funding you to make it, it's a waste of everybody's time and money. I mean, I'm a great populist in that sense. I do believe there's no point in doing something in case people actually demonstrate they want it. It may only be a few people. Or... It may be people, for example, that would attract a certain type of advertising or sponsorship or so on. But just to do it because some arcane government organisation thinks it's good for you, mm, I don't think that'll wash in the modern world. Yeah, I I think it's an interesting thing because quite often, you know, for example, Sky Arts, when it first started, it felt for most people who'd be watching Sky quite separate to what Mm. that kind of viewer would want. Um, and yet the content on it is, is extremely niche, you know, but I do watch a, a lovely autobiography of Jane Fonda. So I can see that, that there will always be a little group of people who will be pleased because if the majority are the only ones who are always pleased, then what about the minority and, and giving them a little bit of what they want as well is not a bad thing because we can't please all of the people all of the time. But what about just giving more money? a sizable minority. I mean, the people yes. that watch, it's a sizable minority. I'm going to put an unpopular point of view to you, Liz. <laughs> what about just giving more money back to the BBC? They're well, already trusted, they're already provably independent from government, and they already used well, to have journalists all over the country doing this kind of thing. Because they're quite big, and it's yeah, not a good idea to plenty. inflate them any further. Yeah, exactly, they've got plenty. And also, you know, there's various things happening there that make me slightly worry about it anyway. But they're provably doing things not for profit, they have a track yes. record of doing things. Yes. But, but um, should they be the only ones? Yes. They, well, I don't think they should be the only ones, because it's then it's one person's on institutions, choice of what matters or what they believe is, is, is real and needed and actually a different perspective is what we need and what we all want when we all watch other channels and all do different things. So I just think more than one person deciding surely is a... But hand it to the BBC, they have funded local journalism in yeah. various areas and it does seem to have worked in that the numbers of local journalists they've funded have gone up from tiny to mm. not so tiny. Whether or not that's their remit is a, another issue, I think. It's very difficult. I mean, over the years I've seen people try to force the hand of organisations, trying to make them do things. And in the end, it doesn't work unless there's an enormous will behind it. Mm-hmm. Okay, like Sky Arts, they really wanted to do it. It was perhaps a vanity project. They had the money to do it. Good yeah. luck to them it worked yeah but and also they have been prepared to do that on numerous occasions the series i did last year was done in dolby stereo and uhd now that is pointless in some ways because nobody can watch that however it was a a slight vanity product it's showing off what they have and using all of those skills and all of the new technology to demonstrate where people will go in the end but sky arts does woo an upmarket affluent audience yeah but at the beginning the brand value is affluent whereas you know the brand value of getting someone to preston crown court just isn't sexy well that's exactly the point i mean sky news is the ultimate vanity project i mean rupert wanted to do that because i was the managing editor at sky news when it started and it was done because that's what he wanted to do and he once said something like oh with entertainment you make money but with news you dine at the White House and that was his reason for doing it it, you know, it sort of catapulted you into the, into the seats of power as it were well to the seats talking of, power. of Rupert Murdoch Liz you've yes. effortlessly segued yeah. us into our next story uh, which is talk radio as in the station rather mm. than the genre uh, because Chris Evans in his Virgin Breakfast show you might have heard a bit about that He's, he's on Virgin, apparently. Uh, broke some hardcore media nerd news this week when Chris Evans appeared to announce that Talk Radio is going to be changing its name to Talk News. Now, that may not actually be true, 
Um, I've been doing some digging around and talknews.co.uk hasn't even been registered yet. It <laughs> sounds to me like a slip of the tongue yeah. or something he said off the cuff. And then he actually said, didn't he? He's quoted as saying, I went to the boss, which I presume is Rebecca Brooks, and said, oh, oh, I said, or she said, you said this thing. And he said, oh, yeah. And she said, because it's you, Chris, that's what we'll call it. Yeah. Duh. I don't know. But let's discuss the merits because everyone else has been anyway. Um, talk sport does sport. Another of their properties, Talk Radio, does mostly talk about the news. Maybe it would help Maybe clarify it would their work. brand. Yeah. But who cares? <laughs> well, I suppose that their employees care because their radars are not as good as they should be, as we've discussed on the last edition. Well, if it helps them focus, it's, there's maybe some sense in it. It's just a very strange way to announce it, but, you know... It's Chris yeah. Evans, isn't it? Well, that's right. You never know what's going to happen to you. But yeah, it does seem to make sense if that is what, you know, in terms of being, again, being clear to the audience, what you're trying to tell them about what you are. Um, I think that can only help. But yes, it is very odd. But then that's what happens. I wouldn't have said it would necessarily attract a wide audience no. talk news as such. Well, it very clearly positions it as a rival to LBC, doesn't yeah. it? And Chris Evans also talked about possibly poaching yes. Nick Ferrari. I mean, yeah. he's, he's been very busy, hasn't he, Chris? Just trying to sort things out for yeah. Rebecca. Is yeah, considerate, yeah, yeah. isn't it? I mean, you know, what's, I mean, I wish I knew what was going on at his lunchtime drinks. It's obviously the place to be to get business done, yeah, isn't it? isn't it? But there you are. If you had £2 million to spend on a presenter for, for talk radio, if you really wanted to make it stratospheric, is that what you do? You put well, Nick do you Ferrari know what? I've got this really weird idea. Why not have a woman? Oh, no. Oh, no. I don't not think a centenarian old man. No, well, it's not going to work. Is I think you'll find they have a woman hosting breakfast on talk radio at the moment. Yeah, but and another people are listening to it. The only person that Chris, that's not people because that Chris she's a woman. has mentioned are men. I don't know. No. But, but, yeah. Maybe it one, is with that station. Who knows? Yeah. But I think, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that... The people that he would be discussing about coming in are people that he probably knows. He said, mm. you know, and it's just. So my question again: <laughs> If you had two million pounds and you were running to radio, what would you do to try and raise its profile? Would you say focus on news like LBC, be a rival to LBC, or would you say part of the reason that we're growing a culty audience is we've got Ian Lee and Howard Hughes and Bob Mills and we do stuff that isn't news? I have absolutely no idea what I would do with it. I mean, I think it's very difficult because I don't really understand their the target audience. Mm. That's where I think it's it's in my view, mm. gone a bit haywire. I don't know who it is that they want to listen to it. I wouldn't listen to it. And I know people who work with it, so I've got to be very careful, but I don't know many people who actually listen to it. Mm. So it seems to me that they've got to go, rather than talking about what presenters they have, mm. they ought to look about what audience they yeah. want. All right, let's talk about uh, TV production house Kudos. Their chief executive is leaving the Indy after nine years and several high-profile commissions under his belt. This is Deirdre Santa, uh, who was responsible for dramas like Tin Star, Grantchester, Humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hasn't said what he'll do next. Any ideas, Liz? No, I have no idea. I don't really know about this world enough to actually opine on it. I did work with Stephen Garrett, who was a founder of Kudos, I think, years ago in Granada when we were all very young and very keen. And that's about the nearest I've ever got to it. I mean, they make fabulous stuff and it's great. It, it would seem to me, reading this story, that this is one very talented, as it were, executive producer, who's had a, a, a good raft of hits, and that's great. But is he absolute, is he the, you know, the Lagerfeld mm-hmm. of TV production? I don't think so, but maybe I don't know enough. Yeah, I think for me, it's obviously, he, he sort of made his name to the, to the masses with EastEnders and was hugely popular at a time when EastEnders had its real peak. Yeah. Um, and that, that sort of certainly made inroads in that area but to, to it reminds me a bit of James Harding you know I want to try something new yeah. but I'm not quite sure what it is but I'm leaving where I am and it's it's actually this is the intriguing bit rather than the dramas he makes yeah. what is the drama here is there something behind the scenes yeah. we don't know about I mean, it's a long on. time in the job as well isn't it really and I think you know nowadays people aren't expected to stay anywhere
As a distinguished listener of the Media Podcast, I'm sure you have already deduced that we often record at Central London Production House Run VT. But what you might not know is that the post-production house studios have been used for shows like Cash in the Attic, Fake Britain, and Car Booty. Run VT has 15 offline and two online editing suites, a bass-like grading theatre where it's lovely and dark, a dubbing suite, and a voiceover booth for all your post-production needs. Find out more about editing your next show at runvt.tv now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Time for some media news in brief now. Liz and Susie are still with me, and the social platform Snapchat is on the prowl for original content with a budget of almost £500,000 for returnable documentary and drama series. Now, Susie, £500,000 sounds a lot coming out of my mouth in a podcast context, but actually, uh, in the world that you're in, making big primetime stuff at the moment, you know, I imagine even a 50-second advert, you're you're talking quite a large budget. Uh, What could you make for Snapchat for half a million? Well, quite a lot, I think. Documentary Um, series? I mean, how many episodes that by, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think think it's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's a four to five minutes kind of per app, which is really interesting about the short form and who's watching it and having spoken to young people before I came about this. Um, it's interesting to see how people will digest it because quite often when I'm doing reviews... Was, was your young people focus group because it's half term or because, were they ITM Productions? Uh, one was ITM Productions <laughs> and one was uh, the 18 year old son. Okay, what did uh, they say about Snapchat? So it, I guess the it's reason, not that cool anymore. One, well, no, the only reason they continue to use it, and you can tell this is not my wisdom, um, <laughs> is that it is instant and instantly gone so if they want to share a video it's done instantly you don't have to save the video send it on so it's it's user ability is what's good and also you can delete it which is again why young people and other various ne'er-do-wells 
use it as well. So they will use it in terms of if they see something that might be of interest, then they might click on it. But actually, when you're looking at social viewing habits, you know, to get three second views or 10 second views is what people are pleased with. To get someone to stick with you for four to five minutes Mm. seems like a lot. But then obviously they've had successful series and dramas, which, you know, you can imagine actually, you know, four minutes worth of a drama that feels quite doable and achievable in terms of allocation of time. But they are so immediately bored once they've seen it for a few seconds, aren't they? There's just so many places to make content now. It's well, amazing. that's the advantage is that the platform is going to push it to its users, isn't it? So yes. it's not like one of these things where you make something even for the BBC and, mm. OK, you know it's going to be on iPlayer, but you can't guarantee that iPlayer is going to tell everyone about it. It might just disappear. Presumably, if Snapchat want this, they're going to actively promote it. You don't need to spend any money on marketing at yeah. all. They'll and I push think it out. I think that's what's really interesting is they will actively promote, and that's quite often what's happened in programmes that I've done, is that you've made all this programme, they've given you all this money, you've spent hours in the studio in the edit. And then no one knows about it. And then they don't promote it. And yeah. you think, well, where is the logic in a mass event show with getting one promo and one hashtag you know, whereas they know how to promo things, they know how to do it into, and how to cut it into small, short-form content to get people involved. I suppose there's also the thing, Liz, that very often if a new platform comes on the scene and says, give us your ideas, we'd like your ideas, people turn up with all the crap that no one else wanted and say, <laughs> yeah, let's remember, reformat this for you. you remember Current TV? That was somebody, Yes, yeah, Al Gore's did, thing. Yeah, absolutely. What I think is quite interesting about this, I had a look at the Snap original promo, which is just, I just Googled it, and it all looks like the sort of stuff we used to buy for Trouble, you know, the teen channel, yeah, yeah, way back it when. Yeah. And it's so glitzy, and they're all so gorgeous and perfect, and it didn't attract, well, why, why would it attract me? But I thought, you're oh not my saying goodness. you're not a Snap user. I'm not a Snap user. This is Very more of the same. Why is it disappointing? Because I was hoping that we'd be able to continue the conversation on Snapchat later. Nah, I'm kidding. Um, but <laughs> the advantage of Snapchat being very clear about what they want, maybe, is that people mm. won't go to them with their crap old ideas. They'll, they'll oh, think yeah. very carefully, okay, this is for Snapchat. What can we make? It's got that to be gorgeous young people in yeah, gorgeous, also, interesting situations. And using all the um, technical aspects that come with Snapchat. So it's about, you know, there's a lot more graphics enhancement there. There's a lot more um, things you can do to all of the pictures. It's thinking of ways in which they can do that to best effect, you but know, actually, to get the interactivity. It is peanuts, really, isn't it? I mean, the, yeah. the money that they're offering. And, and when I looked at the production values on the things they've already got, they're very high. Yeah. It's going to be really hard to replicate that in your bedroom, isn't it? Well, um, because they're, they're, their audience is global, isn't it? Yeah, Whereas totally. Whereas it's not a small portion Which of Which is what our, makes it so bland. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and when it comes to the talent that you'd use for a production you were making for a platform like Snap, are you thinking, do you know what, I need to make sure that they're fully accessible all the time, that's part of the deal. Like, if you're going to be in my show, you have to expect the audience are going to be contacting you, or does that not come into it? Yeah, I think it does. Certainly for things I've done, there's been a certain amount of um, acceptance of social involvement, but I think it is so ingrained in part of their lives, people who would be used in it, people who use it, that it's just, it's not even a a thing to discuss. They would automatically want to be involved because unfortunately they feel this desperate need to be constantly appreciated. But then if you're trying to attract as many people to it as possible because you've got someone who's established in that world, someone who used to be in a boy band or whatever. But that's part of the contract, isn't it? So you'd say yes, you'd make that part of the contract. You have to be contactable all the time. Well, 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 you would never have all the time. You would allocate a certain amount of time, you'd add a certain amount of posts, a certain amount of X, Y and Z and they would have to adhere to that, yeah. Because that's the nature of the beast isn't yeah. it that's the way it's going well, it's instead to of do doing that. promos around local news shows mm. uh you just do it from the privacy of your own bedroom yeah. or bathroom as 
people do. Okay, uh, let's talk about something totally different and the secret Facebook group of French journalists mm. calling mm. themselves the LOL League. Mm. Uh, that's if you kind of transliterate it. Uh, coordinated the harassment of feminists, people of colour and mm. LGBT campaigners on social media, according to reports from BuzzFeed. Liz, can you summarise this story for us? Because it is yeah, a bit complex. It's re- it is quite complicated, but it's, it's really about this group of, of men who years ago, I think it started in 2009 as a Facebook group, and it was basically a group of mates, as the way I see it, who got together to post snide or unpleasant things about anybody who wasn't like them. And then it took off on Twitter, and um, they would set off a, a Twitter storm by posting something on Twitter that was also offensive or attacking someone on Twitter, and then the rest of their people would, would pile in, having been alerted to this, and then it would go viral and everybody would attack these people. And it, it's really quite nasty, unpleasant, mm-hmm. underhand. The um, magazine or pa- paper that outed this, Liberation, one of their journalists, their key journalists, was actually behind it, and so he's now suspended. And another guy's been suspended from another magazine Mm. because he actually set up a fake interview with a woman and interviewed her for a fake job and recorded it and then put it online. And it's just nasty, I think. And no one knows quite where it's going to end and who's involved. And you can imagine people getting sucked into that sort of male, oh, let's have a bit of banter Mm. um, type of environment. And these people at quite a high level have been sucked into that and have now been outed. Well, they haven't been sucked in, have they? They've, ble- well, they've, they've, they've walked into it. They've walked into it, but I think also it's sort of but I suppose it's, it, it escalates, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. It might, yeah. it might from, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's right, but from their point of view, they might have thought at the beginning, this is banter between friends, yeah. and it but, became yeah. a public-facing, let's demean this person publicly thing. I think the whole thing um, just feels... I mean, obviously, it's really uncomfortable, but, but is that banter? The man who started it has now said it was a, a beast that got completely out of control. Yeah. What's interesting about it is the men involved at the time weren't very old at the time they were about 25 but oh exactly that's what's so alarming that's the the thing it's still vulnerability of a one woman against many it's it's the group thing it's this herd of men having a go what i find even harder to understand is that there's a barrage of abuse over time Mm. you know for somebody to sit there be it as banter or not once it escalates to that you are still making that decision to take part in that consistent and repetitive form of abuse to somebody and do you, you know. suspect something like this exists in the uk oh probably yes. i mean Fra- so france organized. is a little bit different i mean all, all cultures are different and it's multi-layered in france and there's lots of complicated things going on but my limited experience of working with french media or french journalists is that it is a little bit more mm. sexist yeah. than here um but you know that's probably just my one-off experience and it may not be true but that's how I feel and so I wasn't entirely surprised to find that you know this was going on in France but I wouldn't be entirely surprised to find that it was going on in Britain either. I came in as a young woman and and many people men older younger whatever would just be would just put you down for whatever you were saying even that and you have to stand up for yourself so strongly or you know the amount of people who just walk away because they give up. But is it happening among groups of 25-year-old men in Britain now? Because I suspect not. Um, Just because millennials are so right on and so woke to all this, aren't they? No, you're wrong there, because like the the students I've seen over the years, most of them are absolutely delightful people and get good jobs and all the rest of it. So I've been dealing with postgraduates, what, for the last... 15 years and sometimes you will get a little knot mm. of men who really want to keep anybody out that's going they're very competitive Threatened. and it's anybody that's going to take their job or take away their opportunities mm. and they will bond together and they will keep out anyone who isn't like them because they feel that they are 
the entitled people. Even if there isn't the sort of maturity to realise that, you know, misogynism isn't cool, nonetheless, <laughs> isn't there now at least a technological literacy that you'd think men in their 20s working in production companies and newspapers in this country at the moment might think, anything I put in a secret group anywhere might one day oh, ruin yeah, my career. Yeah. Well, but yeah. then, you know, that's the thing about secret groups. Think of yeah. all the other secret groups that have been mm. over the years, Freemasons and so mm. on. I mean, they keep it secret. And this lasted secret for a long, long yeah. time. I remember, I was going to say this earlier, and I don't want to be too anecdotal, but working at Granada in the 1970s, and we were all like people of the 70s, and it was all, you know, everybody was equal, and it was all going to be great. And I went to the canteen, and I'm quite small, so I was behind the sort of barrier, you know. And I heard my fellow male producers all talking about the women in the newsroom in a really horrible way and I was so disillusioned Mm. these were great blokes that I worked with Mm. but they weren't so great actually okay from the uh, ridiculous to the sublime and the nominees are in for the national press awards Uh, the Guardian and the FT are shortlisted for scoop of the year for their coverage of the Windrush and the President's Club scandals, respectively. Are we, are we still in the same awards year as the President's Club? That feels like... That was ages was ago. feels like ages ago. <laughs> um, Liz, what did you make of the nominations? Oh, they're all really interesting. What is interesting about these awards is that it's the people, not the coverage, which I find fascinating. Um, I was involved with the British Journalism Awards as a judge, and there you're looking at the material. But one of the things I find very confusing about all of this is how many awards there are. This is the National Press Awards that we're talking about. There's the British Journalism Awards. There's the Royal Television Society. Awards. There's the Broadcasting Awards. There's it's, it's endless. I mean, there's so many different awards, and they're not. And all the journalists are losing their jobs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. a smaller who's circle gonna, of them. Who's going to apply? You know, yeah. and they're all they're all sort of um, praising each other. I think. I don't know. I have a tendency always to want to nominate people I've taught. <laughs> so I think I ought to back <laughs> totally out of fair. this one. Totally fair. <laughs> Would you pick a, a highlight from the nomination, Susie, that you think uh, deserves it? One that's interesting is Daily Mirror's scoop in popular life for TV star Jamie in Spitting Storm. That's a great news story, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, not. That passed me by. Yeah, I'm, funnily <laughs> enough, not interested in that. And The Sun on Sunday's Ant's New Love, oh, which is obviously really important news. But there's got to be an award for tabloid journalism somewhere, hasn't there? Yes, but... I mean, there is a skill. There has to be awards, obviously, for tabloid journalism. It just looks funny when you read it in these sort of when rather pompous surroundings. You know, these stories are Well, fun. it's even more funny when you're in the room and someone gets up in black tie cheering. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, that's what feels really odd. Whereas, you know, obviously another popular life scoop one was um, Barbara Windsor's Alzheimer's. Now, that mm. that is an amazing story that can come out, can help people, can make a real difference and actually has impact on, on many people, you know. The rest is just chewing gum. But sometimes we want some chewing gum. Sometimes we want a bit of fun. And actually the role of personalities, I mean you're saying in a way it's strange that it's about a body of work rather than an individual scoop or story generally. But I suppose if these news organisations are now really conglomerates of mm. individual personalities with their own social media following, I mean, you know the award for Marina Hyde or Matthew Paris getting political commentator is, is more important than mm. what they were talking about. You know, it's that here's a person who consistently brings you a thing mm. and they're associated with our paper. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, but then the, the whole cult of the columnist is a, is a whole new programme. We could talk about that forever and I'm not sure that that's totally wholesome. I think that this cult of having celebrity columnist writers is something I am not terribly thrilled about in the newspaper. On the other hand, I, I read them. I can't help it. Uh, now, you will be thrilled to know there is just time for our media quiz. Oh, I we never f- win this. found <laughs> three sure stories from Media Land that you might have missed. Uh, you know, what with the implosion of our two main political parties going on at the same time. Uh, I will give you a headline from a recent media story. You just have to spot the missing word. You buzz in with your name when you know the answer. So, Susie, you will say... 
Susie. And Liz, you will say... Susie. Right, <laughs> let's go. Missing word number one. What is named best radio show of all time? Desert Island Discs. You've got to buzz in with your name when you know the oh, answer. Oh, gosh, Susie. No, Liz. Oh, who am I? Liz. That's right, Desert Island Discs. Yes. You're so kind. Correct. A panel of industry insiders, most of whom work for the BBC, uh, yes. chose Desert Island Discs above the Archers and Round the Horn for a Radio Times But this poll. is another thing about these awards. Yeah. It was yeah. really unclear who actually made this award because it said on one... Well, it wasn't an award. It was a feature was in the a, Radio yeah. Times. And it yeah. said it And viewers. we're talking about it, so mission accomplished Well, it said 46 people were on the panel. I mean, that's that must have been a viewers, horrendous... But that's not the listeners, is it? But who were then? And that's a big table and lots of coffees. A lot of people were upset that there were no commercial radio programmes on well, the list. Well, it's ridiculous, John isn't Myers, it? It's ridiculous, But what should yeah. have been there? I mean, what commercial radio show would you put on the list of the best radio shows of all time? Very difficult. Mm. Above the Archers and Round the Horn and Desert Island. What about Talk News? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I, Kenny Everett, maybe, on Capital? Definitely. Desert Island Discs is the best radio show of all time, isn't it? No! Are you going to say now this is white male privilege that I think so? Oh, it clearly no, I is. Think so. Ouch. I just think can't it's just throw boring. that around, you know. <laughs> No, but that's because I like that as well. Yeah, well, Do thank you. Like you. Desert Island Discs. Oh, it well, I'm nuts. just I'm very nosy, so I like the fact that it tells you, in theory, tells you more about the person than you would naturally find out about. Yeah, you're them. right. Because I know, like the background. I want I all the silly it. little things. That it's a brilliant format. Yeah. Which we're just so used to it, we forget how novel it was at the time. Yeah. Although I don't know, how do you feel about Lauren Laverne, by the way? I like Lauren. Yeah. yeah. Well, I like yeah. her. I think it's. But I think she's I not listened to it for ages. I feel. No, but then. She isn't. So, I we try. We're not trying to replicate. Obviously, we're just letting somebody else who has their own set of skills do it instead. So there will always be with change comes complaints, doesn't mm. it? Uh, okay. Question number two. We are doing the quiz. You may recall. Oh, uh, yes. BBC launches eco-friendly what? Clothes brand. Buzz in with your name <laughs> when you know the answer. Do you want to do it, Susie? <laughs> Susie. Yeah. Their own clothing line. Correct. You did just hear Liz say the same, but anyway, yeah, yes. Uh, you get an extra point if you remember the name of the BBC's new clothing line. BBC Planet. Yes, it is oh, BBC well Planet. Well See, done. See, I can remember that and I can't remember my own name. How sad is that? Uh, BBC Planet saw models walk the London Fashion Week runway wearing ethically made sweatshirts as part of the corporation's new Sustainable Me campaign, Weird. which all sounds like something straight out of W1A. Um, but the idea is to capitalise on the success of Blue Planet around the world as the most watch British TV programme of 2018 and their campaign for sustainability. Yeah. Does that make sense if you're running a BBC brand to have a clothes line? I find it really weird. Sorry, I'm sure there's an absolute justification for it. I guess it depends on what, who they want to notice it, doesn't it? It's who's it aimed at again because I suppose they will always, there's always a sweatshirt for the programme, mm, isn't there? That's true. So yeah. there's always, we always want T-shirts. So when but that's different from you running know. your own clothing line. But this is, the, this is the extra step, isn't yeah. there? Like everything else, everybody's taking another step. So they're dangling, they're dabbling, When will we have, they? like, BBC takeaway meals? Because it makes total sense. You need to have something yes. to eat while you're watching <laughs> your telly. They could have their own, I mean, you I know, like that. fast food chain. It'd be great. <laughs> BBC the, Eats. I've got the, it. BBC <laughs> Eats. Well done. There is an inherent contradiction as well, isn't there? That if the message of yes. the programme is stop making so much crap that goes to landfill, totally. But even if you're making sustainable, you're crap, still making. It's and stuff what's it going to be wrapped need. in? Yeah. You know, yeah. what's yeah. it going to be wrapped in? I used to think that when they used to try and flog the Blu-ray disc after each episode. Yeah, I mean, comes in a plastic ca- box. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Feed it, it to the birds. It does feel slightly incongruous, doesn't it? Really. All right, two one to Liz at the moment. So Susie, you've got a chance to go for a draw here. It's <laughs> question number three. Radio directors launch new what? Liz. Liz. Oh, 
Go on. Go on, you've picked her at the post. Oh, God. Interactive podcast where you talk to the audience at the same time as doing the podcast. Yeah, or podcast live podcast company, live. as it says in my script. What a terrible thought. We could have an audience here. <laughs> yeah. We could really be making them terrifying. bored. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is uh, radio veterans Phil Riley and friend of the show Matt Deegan who have launched a live events company to bring podcasters face-to-face with their audience. And it's a good way to monetize a podcast doing a live show. No. Susie's nodding, Liz like is saying it. no. I think it's a good idea, but I once started an events company back in the day, and that, the, that was a similar idea, that we ran an event and people came along and we, we filmed and recorded it and so on. And it was really difficult to organise, and it's a different sort of audience that wants to be there, as wants to listen to it, and it can be excluding. If you're not there, you don't want to hear it. If you are there, you've heard it already. It's a complicated premise. podcast feed itself. Mm-hmm. You're not prioritising the listener, the vast majority of listeners who have downloaded it for free and are on their commute. Yeah. You're prioritising the people who are in the room. And Actually, and, and this does go back to Tony Hancock years ago, who's a very famous comedian, and then uh, did a lot of radio and, t- radio and TV and was very popular, and then did a show at the London Palladium, you know, and it was fantastically popular with the audience, but it was recorded and transmitted and absolutely bombed because you're, you're dealing with a different... Mm catchment you know the the listener is very different from the person who's actually there in the theater that's very different from doing a show on the bbc where you know the radio theater and you just go and watch the recording but you know that's what you're doing but the thing is you can sort of theorize about this but then you know i've been doing podcasts for a long time now and i've done some live events and the excitement in the audience absurd as it sounds to meet their favorite podcasters absolutely it's so yeah why would uh, you not give people that opportunity? It's, it's just when you're there, you realise you don't even need to broadcast the thing. I think the idea of just doing an event, having a company exactly. will let you do an yeah. event. That's the difference. These yeah. are events that are being broadcast. That is very different from yeah. having a very successful podcast where you have a meet the audience event. Mm-hmm. Well, Liz Howell, you are the winner today. Congratulations. Oh my goodness, yeah, I'm yeah, overwhelmed. Well <laughs> uh, Susie Marsh, I'm sorry. Maybe another time. But maybe, uh, do come back again and compete for another chance at the title. Uh, and uh, if you want to pay £200 to meet us in person, I'd be very keen <laughs> to talk to Matt and Phil about organising that. Why do uh, we think that's so funny? <laughs> uh, now, if you like what we are up to here at the Media Podcast, if you're the kind of person who might come and see a live show, if ever we did that, and you want to help us keep making the show... But Ollie, it's in your bedroom. <laughs> then consider taking out a voluntary subscription. Head to themediapodcast.com slash donate, and you can choose an amount to keep us going all year round. You can catch up with our previous episodes and get new ones as soon as they're released by subscribing for free on our website themediapodcast.com I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Rebecca Grisdale Sherry, the Media Podcast is a PPM production, until next time, bye bye Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.